Hello and welcome to the latest podcast from the London Institute of Banking and Finance, lifelong partners for financial education. You can learn more about us and about our qualifications at www.libf.ac.uk. Hi and welcome back to our podcast channel. Today we'll be continuing the trade finance series with our relationship directors Mike Backhouse and David Marsh. Recently visiting Kiev and Tbilisi to attend meetings of the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development and also the ICC Banking Commission in October. Hello guys. Hi Kelsey. Hi Kelsey. I'll let you guys take over and let us know about your trips. Okay, thank you. Um, Shall I start Mike? Yeah, go ahead please. Okay, uh, October I had two meetings as Kelsey's just touched on in Tbilisi in Georgia. Uh, The first part of the week was the ICC Banking Commission and the uh, last two days for a meeting with the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development. And uh, both fascinating in different ways. Bit of background first of all. Uh, For those of you not familiar with it, the International Chamber of Commerce Banking Commission meets twice a year, uh, once in the spring and then again in the autumn, uh, to discuss the issues of the day uh, in some depth at times. Miami earlier this year was the main meeting and uh, there were several hundred attendees from literally all over the world with a couple of days plenary meeting plus technical meetings around that. In the autumn, which is the one we're talking about in Tbilisi, it is just the technical meetings. And the sort of things that we're talking about are different working groups uh, that actually focus on different aspects of international trade behind the scenes working on a whole raft of different issues that we don't necessarily hear about uh, but are acutely aware of the importance of. And uh, just to give you a selection, in Tbilisi we had updates from something like 10 or 12 different work streams, progress to date. And the sort of things that we're talking about include sustainable trade finance, uh, a growing important aspect, Um, can we really rely on the products that we're importing that's coming from sustainable sources. What do we need to do to put some additional rigour into that process? Uh, Digitisation working group. Again, we heard last week of the uh, incredible amount of work that's going on in digitisation of trade, of vital importance given the amount of paper that's currently generated and really ought to be in the 21st century moved into digital form. We've touched on previously there's something like 4 billion pages of uh, documentation in circulation in any one year on international trade. A 1% reduction in that would take out 40 million bits of paper. 1% difference. So an incredible amount of work, a real task ahead to do, uh, but it looks like a bit of traction. But of course, and again, this is the key element of the working group, it can't just happen. It needs to be a disciplined approach. People need to know what the issues are so they can move forward together. Uh, As part of that, uh, touching on the legal committee and also in particular, electronic bills of lading. We had one specific presentation on legal issues surrounding electronic bills of lading. Uh, To maybe the first impression, Um, You would think, wouldn't you, that electronic bills of lading are much the same as paper bills of lading, only in electronic form. It's not that simple. 
it needs to be carefully thought through and the issues and the risks understood. Elsewhere, there were reports on uh, financial crime, constantly a hot issue. Um, again, as you will know, uh, this is such a high, uh, of high level of importance that uh, the Institute produced a qualification on this very subject only last year, the Certificate in Trade Finance Compliance. And uh, you'll remember, as we were there, Mike, mm -hmm. uh, we had a conference on it at the end of May here in London, which will run again next May, uh, also in London at our premises here in the city. Um, and again, this is a moving target. There are constantly new things to be concerned about. Um, new sanctions that have been announced even in the last few days will affect this particular working group. Um, elsewhere, supply chain finance, a forum presentation by the new chair, uh, Christian Hauscher, who's just been appointed to the Global Supply Chain Finance Forum, which is the umbrella group that actually has driven the supply chain finance uh, techniques forward. And I'm delighted to say that uh, uh, having spoken to Christian uh, and having talked through the work that we're doing in this particular area, the uh, Global Supply Chain Finance Forum now supports our own qualification in this subject. So um, a nice bit of recognition there for us. So lots going on and lots of information coming in highly distilled form. Um, in addition to that, there were presentations on current documentary credit practices. Uh, it doesn't sound controversial, but surprisingly it is. Uh, the usage of drafts under documentary credits. Uh, this has been a constant concern in some quarters on the basis that presentations under documentary credits can be turned down because of an error on a site bill of exchange. And as anyone involved in trade will know, we don't even need site bills of exchange. Why are they included? Uh, and a long discussion on this, along with uh, tenor bills of exchange and uh, deferred payments. But the outcome was, there is a payment, there is encouragement to remove the usage of drafts, uh, but nothing that will affect ISBP or UCP. But something that we should all be aware of. Uh, negotiation. Um, probably, I think I understand this point, but do we actually have a common understanding of what negotiation of letter of credit is? Again, a long discussion of this one. Uh, if you are unsure, as a listener, well worth diving into Gary Collier's excellent book, Guide to Documentary Credits, which of course is the text to the CDCS qualification. Uh, next on the agenda, the future of UCP. Will there be UCP uh, 700? Current version, of course, is 600. The general consensus was actually UCP is pretty well fit for purpose, particularly supported by ISBP. So there was uh, a real consensus. There was no need for a next stage. However, there was some discussion on whether there was merit in producing a UCP light, and uh, I'll just lead on to the uh, next point and then come back to this, uh, this particular issue. The next point being on uh, discrepancy rates. As long as I've been involved in uh, international trade finance, uh, discrepancy rates on first presentation of documents under letters of credit 
has been routinely around 60%, maybe even higher. And we're talking a good many, uh, a good many years here. Why are they still so high? Why is it that exporters still fail to take advantage of the guarantee of payment that letters of credit provide by failing to get their documents in order and in good time? Maybe one of the questions is that the letters of credit themselves are too complex, hence the suggestion of UCP light. Um, on a personal view, and I think this was the general consensus around the room, actually you don't need UCP light. You can make letters of credit as simple or as complex as you want. And maybe the uh, efforts really ought to be on educating uh, banks and issuers of letters of credit on that particular point. If you don't need a document, if the level of detail is actually superfluous, don't ask for it as an applicant when the letter of credit is raised. I say that's not a universal view, but I think there was a general consensus on that. And then finally, an announcement on the uh, e-compatibility of ICC rules. EUCP is already in existence, and of course we've got uniform rules on bank payment obligations, uh, but EUCP and EURCP, EURC I should say, are both in the process of being uh, um, revised in the case of EUCP and introduced in the case of EURC. And again, this is touching on the earlier point, I guess, uh, that uh, the digitization of trade is moving forward. And as much as we can do as part of the ICC, we should be doing our bit to make certain we're ahead of that. We're actually ahead of the curve so that we can anticipate those changes and that for uh, people that want to follow a structure and rules, that those rules are there for them. So great bits of work, again, being, uh, being done by those working groups looking at EUCP and EURC in particular. So, really good meeting, lots to talk about, inevitably lots of good corridor conversations outside those particular discussions. Uh, my particular group that I sit on, and this is the uh, Guarantee Task Force, has had um, a mission, I think I'd call it, to try and... Uh, encourage the use of uniform rules for demand guarantees and actually establish to the extent that they are being used right now. And Andrea Hauptmann has been driving this particular one forward over a period of months and encouraging banks around the world to actually think about what they currently do and think about what they could do going forward. And uh, we've done our part at the London Institute of Banking and Finance in uh, encouraging UK banks to submit their returns and we've also enlisted a colleague in Latin America to do much the same there. So good progress, certainly the wide adoption of URDG um, would be welcomed not least of all by me having experienced what happens when things go wrong without the structure of rules around them. So fascinating times. That sounds like you had a, a pretty busy week uh, in Tbilisi. It uh, was, a, and I haven't even touched on EBRD yet, but I'll let you, I'll let you well, talk about Kiev if you like. Okay, okay, fine. Um, yes, I, I, I literally, it was only a few days in, in Kiev, and I was asked to um, uh, be, on, be on, a, on a panel, uh, and I'll, I'll sort of um, elaborate a little bit further. But uh, this was a worldwide expert, expert conference in conjunction with EBRD uh, again, and, and, and it's worth mentioning 
that EBRD do a fantastic job in supporting international trade in, in many of the in, in many of the the, the sort of Eastern European countries, um, and they uh, support them um, continuously uh, through their various programs, which they, which they have, um, particularly the trade facilitation program. So it's a very interesting one. It's the first time I've been to Kiev, and uh, uh, it was it was interesting note that the Ukrainian Central Bank and the regulator were there, and I have to say they they seem to be uh, uh, developing and putting in place uh, a platform which hopefully will enable greater uh, international trade uh, uh, from from Ukraine. They, all, they, they touched on the finance of the agricultural sector, which you would expect because Ukraine is a big agricultural producer. There's some interesting discussions uh, on that and techniques and solutions in that area. Needless to say, uh, there was also a, uh, a, a session on blockchain, which was delivered by uh, Leo True, who we know very well from ICC Austria, and she did a, a terrific job uh, in detailing some of the developments uh, on, on the blockchain, which is, as we know, is ongoing. Then on the second day, there was a, it was very much a sort of um, compliance, financial crime, um, sort of half-day session. First of all, SWIFT uh, presented the SWIFT register. Now, as you know, David, uh, over the last 10 years, uh, some of the issues some of the, some of the countries in, in Eastern Europe have had, and, and elsewhere as well, is this issue of correspondent banking, where international banks have reduced their correspondent banking linkages with, with a number of these countries, which has created a problem in terms of the development of international trade from these countries. So SWIFT uh, undertook a, uh, provided a presentation on their SWIFT register, which is helping in terms of the compliance area for, for banks so that they can register and monitor uh, payments going in and out of different countries. So a very useful exercise. Um, and I have to say that um, it, this, this seems to continue to, to go from strength to strength. So it was a very interesting presentation which was given. Uh, I was then asked to sort of uh, uh, elaborate on our Certificate and Trade Finance Compliance uh, qualification, which was uh, brought out um, uh, at the, towards the end of last year. Uh, and I explained to the audience uh, exactly um, how we structured uh, the, the qualification um, and, and the depth uh, of, of analysis which we've undertaken and the, uh, the text of the, of, the, of the qualification and what we're endeavouring to try and sort of test the, the students when, when they, um, it's not just about knowledge, it's also about applying that knowledge to different situations. So I was, uh, again, was given the opportunity to outline uh, certainly our, um, uh, our qualification, but also the importance of education as a whole in, in the area of, of, of international trade. And it's sometimes overlooked that, you know, we talk about technology and about how that's uh, enabling international trade, but likewise, education is also doing that as well. Um, and, we, uh, and when we look at the supply chain, uh, which we mentioned earlier, th that uh, requires uh, a, a continual education, both in terms of the, 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 the definitions, as we mentioned in our previous podcasts, um, but also uh, ensuring that uh, bankers have a full depth and knowledge of what is applicable within the supply chain 
because that's becoming increasingly important uh, in the in the financing of the of of, um, of uh, both large, mid-sized, and small corporates um, in, in different countries. So um, I was able to to do that. Uh, so a very useful, interesting uh, um, session in in Kiev. Um, I would like also like just to mention one other sort of conference I was I went uh, went to during the, during October, which was the BCR. Uh, supply Chain Finance Forum, uh, which again uh, is it, it, it was another supply chain finance conference uh, and an indication of increasingly how supply chain finance is becoming uh, important when it, when when looking at uh, financing of international trade. Um, the chief moderator was John uh, Budeja, um, and also uh, one of the moderators was also Lionel Ta Taylor. Both are our authors. Uh, of uh, of the text of supply chain uh, supply chain finance uh, certification, and they were moderating um, um, a number of sessions, um, which interesting enough they were, were focusing a lot on the mid mid cap market and also the SME market, and I thought again this is a, a focus of many of the UK banks uh, and UK government as well is trying to promote supply chain. And the financing of, of international trade uh, to, to smaller to smaller corporates. So uh, it was a, a very useful, interesting day um, at the BCR Supply Chain Finance Forum. Um, and needless to say, they also uh, uh, touched on technology, the importance of technology in supply chain finance, um, uh, and that continues to be a, a major theme. Um, uh, in these uh, these conferences which we go to, but I just thought I'd mention. Um, uh, the BCR conference as well, uh, but I know that you've uh, you you wanted to touch on the the ICC element of your visit to Tbilisi. Well, it was um, it was actually the EBRD element. Oh, sorry, oh, I'm terribly sorry. The no, that's okay. That's okay. Um, EBRD, yes, in the say the latter half of the week, um, it was uh, two days hosted on behalf of the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development, and. Uh, First of all, before I say any more, I'd just like to mention the unbelievable warmth and hospitality of the uh, reception that we got. Uh, it's Tbilisi is a very attractive city. It's a, um, a comfortable city, somebody used the word. Uh, very welcoming people and just unbelievable hospitality. Um, I've never seen or eaten so much food in a long time. And yes, I did have the odd glass of uh, Georgian wine as well, which was most enjoyable. So thank you again, both ICC and EBRD, and also uh, um, ICC Georgia in particular. But getting back to the uh, EBRD meeting, and again, this is uh, you know, very similar to Kiev. It's focusing on the uh, areas of influence of EBRD, primarily in Eastern Europe, um, but also uh, Mediterranean Rim, and uh, one to other areas as it... Uh, perceives needs that need fulfilling in terms of uh, in terms of practical support like you Mike I sat in a panel uh, this time it was on uh, solutions for compliance and KYC issues and did we touch on the um, registry absolutely we did and uh, I'm a big fan of this concept uh, the idea of de-risking within correspondent banking is not new uh, what is newer is some sort of solution to, uh, to help those countries where the number of correspondents with major banks around the world 
has been slimmed down significantly. And uh, in the business, everybody talks about de-risking because big banks don't want to deal with what they perceive as uh, risky banks, potentially in high-risk jurisdictions. In many instances, the reality is it's de-costing. Banks have slimmed down their correspondent network because they're expensive. So how do you make yourself as a bank more attractive to be a correspondent in your country to big banks in Western Europe or, or the United States? And one way is uploading your details, your bank details, in a very prescribed format onto the registry. It's as, um, a format that essentially follows the Wolfsburg uh, Correspondent Bank Questionnaire. And obviously the more detail that those banks put in, uh, the less questions that they're going to get from uh, the potential major correspondent. And uh, apparently EBRD have got 70% of their banks uploaded onto the registry, which I was really impressed with. What I don't know is, is how effective that is from the big correspondents to actually use that data. Nevertheless, 70% is great. And uh, it's a good service. Um, I talked at length about uh, my perceptions of the benefits. Um, and not least of all, it's free. Uh, so you take time and trouble to load that information, make it accessible to correspondent banks, update it absolutely on a regular basis. But the more information obviously they put in there, the more attractive they are to potential correspondent suitors, for want of a better name. So uh, a big plug there for the registry. I think it's a great concept. But we also, just as an exercise, and this was partly Mike, because we were the first session after lunch, we tried to do something a bit different. And we prepared some slides, uh, which are essentially were fun in trade finance compliance, which sounds like a contradiction in terms. But essentially what we try to do is ask questions of the audience. In fact, picking questions from our compliance qualification, reducing the options just to two rather than four, and get a show of hands on the uh, uh, potential answers. And the really interesting part for me is uh, seeing the spread of views. Um, you would think you get a fairly consistent view one way or the other. And it was often 50-50. And the point of that being, there's a lot of work to do. If, if you get a spread of informed individuals on this subject that don't have a consistent view on, we're often fairly straightforward questions. Um, okay, only give them a few seconds to have a think about. But it really does mean there's um, a lot of education, a lot of work by whatever means to actually bring that level of understanding and uh, interpretation up to the right level. Just, just one thing, just to get a bit of fun on this, and uh, one particular question was on a red flag. And it was uh, um, on an inventory which showed, uh, what was it, uh, JCB diggers, cat diggers at $125. <laughs> and if you're into under invoicing, no details for now, but obviously that's a red flag because try and buy uh, a cat a digger for $125, it isn't going to happen. Um, when the next slide comes up, of course, it's actually a toy. It's, uh, and $125 is probably a reasonable price for this very nice toy. So a genuine red flag is one to be concerned about, one to document. But then the following question was, would you report this? 
would you file a suspicious activity report? And the universal response was, yes, we would. And of course, the, the last thing your regulator wants is a load of suspicious activity reports which aren't actually suspicious at all. But there is that nature to overreact, be overcautious and report things that don't need reporting. Mm. So again, you know, a certain amount of work to do, all of us, I think, frankly, on, uh, on actually getting an understanding and making sure that we document it. So that was a bit of fun. Elsewhere over the two days, um, lots of good information from different parts of the EBD's area, EBRD's area of influence. Obviously, Georgia, Armenia, Cyprus, Greece, uh, Uzbekistan, Turkey. Um, the list goes on. Uh, where else? Mongolia. And uh, again, fascinating to get different perspectives, as we touched on earlier, from different parts of the world. So very worthwhile uh, day and a half. Um, lots of, uh, I say, lots of different things discussed in a very condensed period. Um, so a great chance to hear some uh, information firsthand, and also, as I'm sure it's the same in Kiev and elsewhere, mm. to actually network, to have corridor conversations on these same issues. And uh, a final word again on Georgia. Um, such high profile, it's viewed with such importance, uh, trade generally and uh, their part on the Silk Road. Uh, the, uh, the meeting was actually opened by the Prime Minister of Georgia. Oh. Yeah. And uh, very young government, young individual. Again, what a great honour uh, to have our meeting visited by the Prime Minister of Georgia. So uh, that really did set the tone for the day and a half. Great stuff. Mm, sounds fascinating. Well, thank you guys for both joining us and summarising your trips uh, and the current developments in trade finance. Thank, thank you. you, Kelsey. Thanks very much, See Kelsey. you next time. Thank you for listening. You can find out more information about attending our talks and events at www.libf.ac.uk forward slash events. If you want to get involved or have any feedback, please contact us at podcast at libf.ac.uk.